And welcome to church today. Is it good to be together? Good to be worshiping, seeing people obedient to baptism? Amen. If you're watching online, I want to say welcome. I want to welcome all of you. If uh, this is your first time, two generations, um, and I hope that you are, well, I hope you're moved. I hope that you realize that God's got something for you. And I, I think that he's got a picture to kind of paint for you from his word. It's, it's incredible how God speaks from his word and draws pictures that change our lives. And like a picture that will never leave you about his intent for you. You were made for some things and, and you know it. You know that you've been made for some specific things. One thing that you were made for is you were made for something new because you like new things and that's natural. God put that in you. You like the smell of a new car. You do. You do. And you know that McDonald's ruins the smell of a new car. And the new car scent, like the little tree, and you put it in, it does not combat a happy meal overnight. It will not fix it. There's something deep inside of you that tells you that you're made for something new. The city of Jerusalem is the city that God chose as the capital city for his people when he gave them their land. And God's people walked away from what God called them to. And so God brought corrective measures. He brought punishment, not because he didn't love them, because he did love them. And for about a hundred years, God's people, they really hadn't had a, a state. They had not had a city state or a, or a country. Invaders had come in and invaders had carried them off. The great diaspora. they were scattered throughout many other countries. It's at that point in history that this guy named Nehemiah in Scripture comes into the scene. Nehemiah had a position of influence. We find out in Nehemiah that he was a cupbearer to the king. That doesn't mean that he just tasted to make sure there was no poison. Like the only skill he had was not dying every day. That's not the deal. He was really more of, a, more of an influencer and someone that would kind of be in the ear of the king, an advisor, a counselor. He had proximity and influence. And Nehemiah hears news that Jerusalem, he is ethnically a Jew, although he's grown up in this kind of Ottoman empire, really. I mean, Babylon had come and taken them, and he had grown up in a different culture. His heart still longed to be with God's people in God's chosen city, worshiping. When Nehemiah hears that the city lies in ruins and disgrace, his heart's broken. He spends four months praying for God to open a door. God does that and he goes to the king and the king grants him a leave of absence and funding to go and rebuild the walls. And this week we're gonna look at kind of the culmination of that story and specifically a verse at kind of the end. Nehemiah chapter nine, verse 38 says this. In view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement. We're putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites, our priests are affixing their seals to it. Took them 52 days. They built the walls of this great city up. And in chapter 9, they say, in view of everything that we're seeing that's going on here, we're going to make an agreement, a pact, some kind of sacred document between us and God that's going to tether us to him. It's a plan for their future. I don't know if you realize the, the walls that they built, 
many historians, as we kind of go back and look at what that looked like, it could be about 30 acres of land where they built this wall. If you stand on one side of the property here at Generations Christian Church and look aside to the other, and that would be what we would call the old city of Jerusalem where these walls were built. Jen and I were there in 2019, November, and we took a group of people from church and we took a walk up on the old ramparts wall and looked down into the old city, Jerusalem there, and kind of where David's part of the city was, and we could see remnants of that exact wall, real wall, real people, real time, real life. Nehemiah chapter 9, they say, in view of everything that God has done, we're going to dedicate ourselves to a plan. They weren't talking about the walls, though. The walls, they just gave them a little bit of clout. The walls were built up, and that just meant that, you know, some of the other cities around, like Jericho, couldn't say, you guys got no walls, right? I mean, it it was kind of like a pride thing. They they were a city again, and other people, Jews, were starting to come back to the city. This is not what they're talking about in Nehemiah 9.38. See, they were made for something new, and God was doing something besides just new walls. In our family... For a long time, there has been uh, a tradition when we go out and we go through the drive-thru and we get ice cream, which happens too often, or if we go and get, you know, someplace that sells franchise, and we just call it the, the mom and dad tax, okay? As they hand in the french fries or the ice cream that the kids have ordered and it comes through the front. Some of you are laughing because you know about this tax, you might be on you might like it, you might hit. Is it would come through, you know, if they got chocolate chip cookie dough and, you know, mama wanted to taste that or I wanted that, we would just taste it, you know, just, just a little taste of, I don't have to order French fries because they order French fries. I don't need all, so I'll just take a fry. And the kids, when they were a little young, I mean, they'd be like, oh, the injustice of this moment. <laughs> oh, dad, I mean, you would think, I'm like, whoa. And so we, we, we had this saying, I think uh, one of our good friends, Eric Tim, made this up actually. We said this to them because it just dawned on us, like, do you understand that if your mom and I wanted to, we could bury you in French fries, right? You're like, well, that's kind of creepy, pastor, right? Now, we tell our kids, if we drove around to all the McDonald's in towns and mom and I, we we could buy enough French fries for your little person in third grade. If we put all the French fries we bought on top of you, we couldn't see you. We could make it rain French fries on you. We are the provider of French fries in your life. So we would have this thing, and it just became famous. If we ate it in their stomach, like, get your hands off my plate. We'd be like, I could bury you in that, right? And they came to know that, you know, we provide good things. Now, Finley, of all the kids, Finley was the kid who was most likely to eat dirt. I'm just going to tell you. Like, if he would be the one. And I... Many times I would have one job. My one job from Jennifer was just watch the kids. Just, I mean, she's just going to go somewhere, right? Just watch the kids. And so the whole time in my heart is fear and panic. Because I want for her to come around the corner and for me to be doing one thing well. Watching the kids. So I'm like looking at the kid, looking at where she might come from. Looking at the kid, looking at where she might come from. And it, I would get somewhere in the middle and I would see her out of one eye. And, I, and in that fraction of a moment, that little space and time, Finley would be eating dirt. <laughs> and she'd be like, he's eating dirt. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Can't, it's more like my side of the family. I don't know what to tell you. And I would look at Finley and I'd be like, Finley, 
we can buy you other things besides dirt, like ice cream. You know, you've had ice cream. I mean, Finley had ice cream like he was born. I'm like, ice cream, right? I mean, that's how fast it was, right? You've tasted ice cream. At what point in your life would you be like, yeah, that could be a while. There's dirt here now. Like, I'll just hit the dirt, right? Get ice cream later, dirt now. Max Lucado, and I read it this week, actually writes about a scenario exactly like this with his daughter. He says, did I love her when she had the dirt in her mouth? Absolutely. Some of you laughed at that. Come on, come on. He did, he loved her. You love your kids even when they do things like that. He says, was she any less my daughter when she had dirt in her mouth? I mean, of course not. Was I going to allow her to keep the dirt in her mouth? No way. I loved her right where she was, but I refused to let her, to leave her there. He describes it this way. I carried her over to a water fountain and I washed out her mouth. Why? Because I love her. God does the same thing for us. He holds us over a water fountain and he says, spit out the dirt, child. I've got something way better for you. And he cleanses the filth that we've gotten ourselves into in life. Immorality, dishonesty, prejudice, bitterness, greed. These things that we just get in. We don't enjoy the cleansings. And and sometimes we even opt for dirt over something like ice cream. I know you can give me ice cream, Dad, but the dirt's here now. I'm just going to. Get in this. And we say defiantly to our father, I can eat dirt if I want to. Which is true, we can. But if we do, the loss is gonna be ours. See, God has a better offer. He wants us to be like Jesus. And this is what's amazing. You are not stuck with today's personality. No amens this service. That's good, that's good. You're tweakable. We're tweakable. Like we can be changed. If you've worried every single day of your life, you don't have to worry. You're not condemned to being grumpy. If you were born a bigot, get this, you do not have to die one. But where did we get this idea that we cannot change? And I've been asking that question all week. From where do statements come from like this? It's just in my nature to worry. I've always been a pessimistic person. I'm just that way. I just react to things. I can't help the way I react. I'm just been, I've been born with a bad temper. Those thoughts in your life, in my life at times, they're not from God. God can no more leave a life unchanged than a mother can leave a child crying. He knows that you're made for new, and that's why you yearn for new. And here's the deal. He's okay with you being completely frustrated and disappointed. He's okay with it. If you get to a point in your life where you're trying to, trying to do stuff and what you're really doing is just jamming dirt in your mouth, God is okay for you to get to the point where you finally say, hey, this dirt's not good. Can you like make it rain McDonald's french fries or ice cream? And he's like, that's what I do. I'm the father of all good things, says James 1.17. I will make it rain on you. But you got to recognize the scenario that you're in. Here's what you're made for. You're made for revival. 
When they stand on this wall and they say, in view of all this, we're going to make a, make a pact. We're going to dedicate ourselves to something. They're not talking about the finished wall. The wall was great. The wall was done. But there's something that happens in Nehemiah chapter 8 that they're actually referring to. They had a party. The wall got done. and like, all right, barbecue with everyone. And here's what they do. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 2. On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. The law, this is what God gave Moses. This is what they're instructed to live their lives by. They brought it out. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand and all the people listened attentively to the book of law. You should be picking up on a couple things in there. One, that was a six-hour church service, right? I mean, from sunup to noon. That's a six-hour church service. We've got an elder that serves here at our church, and he's been staying home during COVID because of some medical issues. They've not been allowed to come back yet, and so when we're getting ready for church, they go to the first hour, the 9.30 hour. They're kind of in flip-flops and shorts and they're at home and they're making coffee and they're getting ready. And Alex, our worship leader, we're really blessed to have Alex lead our team and help us here with leading us in worship. And Alex, when he gets real excited, Alex, he says, come on, church, church, right? That's a, it's not church, it's like church when he's excited. And so my buddy, when they're at home and we're getting ready for online, they just start walking around they're like, church. We're going to have church. And they just do it all the way through worship. That's just how they participate the whole time. Just saying that back and forth, him and his wife to one another, which just makes me laugh all the time thinking of them sitting there just back and forth going, church, right? That's what they had here on this day. I'm going to tell you what church is. Church is when you come into presence with who God is in his word and you start to understand that you desperately need to get back to the word of law. And what was happening here in this scenario, this revival broke out. It's not just because they didn't have Netflix. Oh, they went to church all day because they got nothing better to do. It's Old Testament people. No, 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 no. There's a lie that's been put on you. The lie is this, that freedom is boring. Freedom is not boring. And the closer you get to God's word and understanding your need for him, the more freedom you're going to have when you understand that Jesus completely covers your need. They were having church. And what happens when we have church is it breaks out in repentance. I mean, if you just kind of look at what's being said here in Nehemiah, verse 8 of chapter 8, it says they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meeting so people understood what was being read. We want to be a part of a church that when we gather together and we read God's word, that we understand what's happening here. His spirit wants you to understand what he's saying to you in his word. It says in verse three, they listened attentively. It says in verse two, they were able to understand. Those who could understand verse three, making it clear so people could understand verse eight. God wants his word to be clear in your life. And what he's calling you to is this, what you're Made for. You're made for this repentance. Repentance is what broke out. Nehemiah verse 9, the very next verse says this Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, 
the teacher of the law, the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Know what's happening here. The wall just got built. The priest comes out. They open up the book of the law and they just start reading it for six hours. And people start to lose their minds. They are weeping. They are mourning. You know why? Because they're starting to realize how far away from God's word they've gotten. And the repentance is great. And Nehemiah says, this is supposed to be a day of rejoicing. What's going on? They're like, no, we've recognized something. We've recognized that we're far away from God. As I've looked back over all of the messages over the last four years that we've talked about, almost every single message, like tons and tons of them, have one point in them every single week. We have to repent. This was the only sermon that the prophet Isaiah got to preach to God's people. Repent. It's the only sermon that Jeremiah preached. It's the only sermon that John the Baptist preached. Matter of fact, when Jesus came to preach, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. When Peter started the church and the spirit of God came, he had this sermon, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. This imperative to obey God in that. Paul, as Paul started, all of the churches that have not ceased to worship and meet on the first day of the week to this day, the message was this, repent. We have one thing to concentrate on when we come together around God's word that we would be a people who turn back to God, a people who repent, you're made for it. And if you're looking for some other plan, some other thing to put in to get there, I don't, I don't have it. I, I, it's, it's fake. I don't know if you are someone who watches commercials or walks, walk away, but these uh, famous commercials where people are looking at a new drug, they've got, I think of the, uh, the Huey Lewis and the new song. I want a new drug, one that won't make me sick. Well, they show you people in very perfect circumstances. It's like they're at the Trinity Farmer's Market and it's not raining, right? And they're all skipping in the perfect sunshine. And while they're living this idyllic life, there's a voiceover, a guy that sounds a little bit like Morgan Freeman, and he's telling you all the side effects of the drug. I'm going to sum the side effects up of all the drugs. Are you ready? It's going to kill you. It's going to be worse than the thing you're taking the drug for. Don't do it. Repentance is what you're made for. And when we try to substitute anything else in our life other than repentance, it doesn't work. It's, it's a poor substitute. And ultimately, it's just going to kill you. It says here, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together. This is the same month. They are fasting, wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. They're mourning because of their sin. Verse 2 describes this. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. And they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord. For a quarter of the day they did this, and they spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. This is 24 days of church. And I just asked this question, like, what is it that makes something like this happen? 
Like, what, what is it that would get us to a point where we would say, man, I'm just going to spend a season. I'm going to spend like three weeks going before God and just lamenting the fact that I've been far from his word. What is it? I, one point and one picture for you today. You were made for tethering. Hey, Finley, are you back there? Could you come out here and help us out? Right on cue? There you go. All right. Everybody, give it up for that one kid of mine that doesn't know to hide on Thursday. Okay, Finley, I want you to hold the word of God here and hold this. Okay? And I'm going to uh, get something out of here for you. This should be fun. Uh, The point that we're trying to make and the word picture that we're trying to create here is something of a tethering, okay? A tethering is when you're bound up thinly. I have no idea how this thing works, but I want you to try to put that on. Just stand right up here and put that on really well in front of everybody. While we're watching, you got it. A tethering means to be connected to, to be bound to, to, to have this, this mechanism that, that connects you in a deep way to something. Man, you're, you're really good at this. I don't, I don't know why you're so good at this. It's a little scary. Yeah, put that on. Okay. Now, now just try to walk away. Is it a little tight? I'm, a, I'm okay with that. Try to walk away. I like this. I like this. All right, now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tether you to this here, the Word of God. See, a tethering is what you're made for. Because we have a natural inclination like God's people to walk away, right? And when we're tethered to God's word, right? When we try to get away, but we're actually tethered to God's word, what happens in your life is you, you start to have different inclinations. You start to have something that's gonna guide you in a different way. And what God wants to do is God wants to pull you in to his word tighter and tighter and tighter, This is what God wants to be doing when he tethers you. Now, here's the deal. You are going to be tethered to something in this life. Something. You're going to want something. You're going to like something. You're going to seek something. You're going to go after something. You're going to be interested in something. You're going to talk about something. You're going to go. What are you doing? (laughs) You're going to be tethered to something. You're like, well, I'm not tethered to anything. You're tethered to something, okay? And if it's not God's word, you're probably in a dangerous place. Now, there, there is something else that we try to do sometimes. Sometimes as we're thinking about this and, you know, we're kind of tethered to God's word, we say, well, I know that there's this thing that exists where I can be tethered to God's word. That's not going to work that way. Let's try it this way. I can be tethered to God's word. You're going to hook on there? These things are really complicated. It's got to be 2% smarter. Here you go. Okay. And you, and you say, you say, well, here's what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to be tethered to God's word because that's great. But I'm, gonna, I'm also, I'm going to tether to something else too. And we try that for a while. And God's word has something to say about that. You can't be connected to two masters because you'll serve one and hate the other. You'll love one and hate the other. So. Oh, you got to get in it. Yeah. Come on, do it again. There we go. There we go. There we go. I'm going to tell you what. 
that doesn't work. It doesn't work to say, I'm going to be tethered to what God wants for me in my life, but I'm going to try to go and connect other things. You've got to come and say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to fully get in here and I'm going to be fully tethered. I want to read to you a verse from 1 John. This is the disciple that Jesus loved. He says this, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of the Father of God lives forever. What are you doing? What are you doing? So get this. I'm going to change the word for love out to this tethering idea, being connected to God's word. Do not be tethered to the world or anything in the world. If anyone is tethered to the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of... This is what happens, right? We all get to a point... At some time when we say, you know what, I can be tethered to God's word, but maybe if I just got a little bit of a longer line, right? You know, what if I just had a little bit more freedom in a couple of areas, and then I, I could still be tethered to God's word, but you know, I could probably just have a little bit more fun, right? I could probably just get away every now and then and try some things on my own if I just had a little bit more distance between me and what God's word is trying to do. This is exactly what happened in this scenario here with Nehemiah. They had gotten themselves a rope and they had gotten so far away from the word of the Lord that when they finally had the word of the Lord read to them for six hours, they said, oh no. We are so disconnected from God. We don't, even, we don't even know where he's at anymore. And what they started to do in the course of those 24 days is this. They just kept reading God's word and they got to the end of themselves and they started to realize what maybe some of us would realize if we were to spend some time in God's word, tethering ourselves to God's word. we find out we're not really connected to the word of God. Maybe we're not connected to anything. Psalm 119, 11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. I've tethered your word to my heart so that I won't sin against you. I've got just a moment that I want to close with that I think is just a moment of tethering. There's this passage in the Old Testament, and I, I've, I've known about it, I've read it before. But as I came across it again this week, it was a tethering moment. It says this in Deuteronomy 22, 6 through 7. If you happen to come up on a bird's nest along the way, in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall certainly let the mother go. But the young you may take for yourself in order that it may be well with you 
and that you may prolong your days. You're like, okay, now we're talking about birds and nests. I don't understand where we're going here. I think it's a tethering moment. On my back porch, where I, I spend most of my time writing messages, I've got this tree that's back there. You can see the tree there. And if you zoom in on the tree just a little bit, just kind of come in on that tree there, you'll see that I've got a friend. I've got a little bird that sits on the back deck there with me. And, you know, I try to be gentle, and at first it would fly away and fly away. And I've gotten to the point where I can water my plants there, and the bird will stay. And uh, the other day, I got this picture. The bird, uh, she left to go do some work, and I was out there. And you can see two little eggs in there. Uh, it's perfect like for Easter, right? And then if you come in a little bit closer, there's even two. I did not plant these. They're, they're really there. I checked this morning when I got up. She was out there. She's like, what's up? And here's the deal. There are things in God's word for you about your relationship with your wife and your children and your neighbor and the people around you. And something is, is awesome, but maybe you might say just a bird. Maybe you think it's insignificant. And what God is doing, come here, you. Come here. What God does for us when we read a passage like that and God starts to say something about compassion and he starts to direct your life a little bit, you think, that's small, that's insignificant. You know what's happening? He's starting, we got it, there we go. He's starting to do this. He's starting to tether you. He's starting to instruct you. He's training you. He's teaching you. And it's not a place of a bunch of rules. It's a place of life. It's a place that's gonna like build a future for you that you're really made for. And if you don't know it, if you're untethered to this, if you're untethered to the things that God has, you're flying alone and you're flying blind. And God wants this. He wants to tether you to his word. And what happened for these people on this day is they finally came back to a tethering relationship where they were connected to the word of God. And they said, oh no, we're far. We're far from where we're supposed to be. And they started to repent. And that, that repentance led to a tightening relationship with God's plan for their life. He has a plan for your life. And there is no way to get there unless you're tethered to him. And I'm telling you, the scariest moment for me, there is this moment where someone says, I'm going to unhook my tethering from the world. And we all celebrate that. And we watch people get baptized and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and their lives are changed forever. And there's this critical moment where they've left the world, but now they got to, you you got to tether to something. You cannot just leave the world and then walk around with your hook in the air. you got to connect it to the word of God. And I watch people at times where they walk through those experiences and they find freedom, but then they don't tether to the word of God. And I, I just think to myself, destruction, destruction, because there are so many teaching moments like that one on compassion and a bird and her eggs that will shape your heart and your future. Now, here's the thing. A lot of us get to this very moment and we get passionate about freedom in our lives and we get passionate about leaving the world and we get passionate and get excited about 
untethering from the world. But if that's all we do and we don't have a plan, it's just recklessness. It's worthlessness. In this text, there's, there's just a couple things that happen. They read the word of God in chapter eight, chapter nine. They write the longest prayer recorded in history. In that prayer, they confess of their sins in that moment right there. In that prayer, they say, Jesus, we're gonna make you number one. We're gonna tether to you in everything we do. And then in chapter 10, they say, we're gonna write it down. Just picture the Declaration of Independence. Remember John Hancock's really famous because he wrote his name really big on that thing. They said, those people that signed that document, they said, we stake our fortunes on this country. We stake our reputations on this country. We stake our lives on this country. Most of them lost their lives. Many of them lost their fortunes. Thousands of years before the founders of our country wrote their name on that document, Nehemiah said this, we're gonna sign it. We're gonna have a plan. And it's significant. Matter of fact, the last thing that, that he says in Nehemiah 10, 39, his exact words, I got him here. He says, we will not neglect the house of our God. We won't neglect the house of our God. I think that they had walked away from a tethering of God's word and they had neglected the work of the Lord, the kingdom of the Lord, and the things of the Lord. And I think it's a slow fade at times in our lives. We ask people, and I'll just tell you, like here at church, we're getting ready to come into a season to invite people to Easter, invite people to stuff. And we're, we're seeing people added to our number daily. God is doing a work. And there is a Nehemiah chapter 10 for us as a church. Everyone in that city that worked on those walls wrote their name and they said, we're gonna stay tethered to the word of God. We're gonna do it. I think there's something to signing up and saying, I'm gonna be tethered to what God's doing here. It's not about being on a parking team or serving in a third grade classroom. That's just, we need people. We don't have enough people to even get towels for people that when they're getting baptized back here. We're running around. There, there's a ton of work that needs to be done. There needs about 400 volunteers a weekend to facilitate new people connecting to Jesus. It matters. If you're brand new, you can sign up. We'll get you. I'm telling you, you know what happens in that moment? It's a tethering. It's a tethering. Getting closer to God and getting closer to God's people. It will impact your life in significant ways. Are you tethered? Lord Jesus, this picture of your people tethering closer to you and getting bound up and connected to your word. It led to revival. It led to repentance. It led to a dedication. It led to people saying, I'm gonna sign up. I'm gonna be here. I'm not gonna neglect the work of the Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would do that in our midst today. People online, people right here in this room, that we would see that your word has got corrective things for us. It's got stuff that's gonna help us have a new life. And some of us, we've been eating dirt and you want to shower us with good things. Oh, Father, do a work in us. And may we have the boldness to trust you enough to simply dedicate ourselves to your work. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.